Hey there, what's going on? Thanks for checking out Blissful Prospecting. My name's Jason Bay, you can call me J-Bay, and this is a podcast for sales reps and sales teams who love landing big meetings with their prospects, but hate when they go to write those cold emails and they spend a bunch of time on it and then they never get any responses. I think you're really gonna like the conversation we're having with James Harper today, so let's get to the episode. One of the things I love about talking to firms that do the prospecting uh, for companies is they usually have a lot of really interesting best practices around what they're doing because they have to figure this out for another business. This is actually what we started Blissful Prospecting doing was uh, people would come to me and my wife, Sarah, and say, hey, I want you guys to send out cold emails or like LinkedIn you know, sequences for us. And we would write all of the messaging. And it was really hard because... We'd have people coming to us that wanted us to do this for uh, them to sell insurance. We had people do it for SaaS. We had people do it for marketing agencies, website agencies, and, and sort of everything in between. And what it required us to do was, you know, kind of like build up this expertise really, really quickly in their business so that we could, you know, send emails to the prospect that was relatable for them. And we found it really hard because we didn't sell to our prospects every day. So I have a ton of respect for our guest today, James, and like what he's doing with his company because at Agency Flare, he's sending out the prospecting and like doing the prospecting for these companies and they've become really, you know, good experts in the industries that they're helping. So props to him. I uh, had to transition into more coaching and training and really take our frameworks and then combine that with our client's industry expertise to do it. So I just found that was easier for me (laughs) personally. But what we're going to talk about, of course, because we like to get super tactical, is we're going to talk about cold calling and specifically what he's seeing in this like work from home environment with the pickup rates being lower. So how is he cold calling? He's going to talk about ringless voicemails, which are pretty cool, something I have not tried before, and just like kind of overall cold calling best practices and voicemail best practices. He's also going to talk about LinkedIn and how we should handle LinkedIn and what the approach should use and, and why it works on industries that also are like non like techie, you know, kind of industries. So I think you're really going to dig this one. Before we get to the episode, this is a long form piece of content. Obviously, it's, you know, this is like an hour interview. Uh, if you're looking for stuff that's a little more bite sized, five to 10 minutes, a roundup of my best like LinkedIn post, short videos, that sort of stuff to help you with cold calling, cold emailing, LinkedIn, objection handling, all that good stuff. Make sure to check out blissfulprospecting.com slash Jason. You sign up for that, I can send you that one-page cheat sheet. It's really cool. I've been getting a lot of great feedback on it. So again, blissfulprospecting.com slash Jason. And let's get to the interview today. So I've been wanting to ask people like icebreaker questions to get these started. I've been doing it in, in webinars and training calls. It's just super fun. But I'm curious, what did you eat as a child for breakfast? As a child for breakfast, what did I eat? You know, I think probably just like a good old bowl of tricks cereal. Ah, okay. You know, I guess I'm a cereal guy and probably as I evolved mechanically, maybe a waffle. (laughs) (laughs) So I don't know. Definitely cereal and then waffle. But then again, I have a three-year-old son and he's he's a waffle boy. So maybe maybe that was my stick. I don't really recall though. So were you guys like two percent milk, like whole milk? What was the milk situation? Yeah, man, we were definitely 2% milk and <laughs> yeah. milk was big in our household. Me too. 
I didn't really grow up with a ton of money. I grew up with kind of a crazy household. So uh, there was oftentimes it was like milk, bologna, some random leftover dish and maybe cheese in the fridge. And that's what I remember. That's awesome, man. The milk thing is interesting. I used to drink so much milk. My dad drank a gallon of milk a day when he was a teenager. Oh, my gosh. Like they had a cow. Yeah. I used to get pimples and stuff kind of bad. I'm looking back at it now. A lot of that's actually from drinking milk, which I'm like, yeah, yeah. Milk had the best like marketing campaign of all time when it was like got milk, get strong. It was Bo Jackson drinking the gallon of milk. And just to find out that that might not always be the case. (laughs) That's funny. Okay. Well, now that we know a little bit more about you, James, how did you get into sales, man? It looks like you've done a lot of like really interesting things in your career. And if I read correctly on your LinkedIn, your stepdad was kind of a big, you know, part of you getting into sales, but how did that get started for you? Yeah. You know, sales really came to me on accident, right? I fell into sales on accident. I like to tell people like, you just don't raise your hand at 10 years old and say, Hey, I'm going to jump into sales. The thought of sales for most of my early life would have scared the hell out of me, frankly. But sales was really a form of survival for me. And I didn't realize I was falling into sales, if you will, until I became a young adult. I needed to make money and I don't have a strong educational background. I'm fortunate enough to be well-spoken and well-written, but I didn't graduate high school. I don't have a college degree. So what jobs really take you outside of just your minimum wage jobs. What I love about the sales industry is it's an equal playing field. If you're willing to try a sales company, like a door-to-door company, a cold call company, they'll take a waiver on you just based off of hustle. And that's kind of where I found myself is I, I needed to provide for myself. And I accidentally jumped into the sales world and to my stepdad. My stepdad used to say, James, why don't you find yourself a sales job? You can sell anything. I think just because I like to talk and connect with people, he would say that. And I would get so angry at him because I'd be like, oh, my stepdad doesn't think I can get a quote unquote real job. I'll show him. And lo and behold, he was absolutely right. Just through uh, decades of experience now, um, I love sales and I love connecting with people. I love helping people. And I finally embraced it. So here we are. Yeah. At what point did you, and you might've asked me this in your podcast, actually, at what point did you actually kind of embrace the fact that, hey, I'm not only good at sales, but this is like a viable career path for me. Like there's no shame, (laughs) you know, in being a sales professional. Yeah, that's a really good question. I don't know if I had like a certain moment. Mm -hmm. Honestly, it's probably not as long as people think if you read my history in sales, I've been involved in sales for a long time, but I don't think I fully embraced and accepted it maybe until like seven years ago. And about seven years ago was when I started running my own company full time. And when you run your own company, I think any founder or CEO's job is to sell and to delegate and then obviously to lead a team. In those early days, my only job was to sell because I needed to create profitability for, at that time, it was a marketing agency. And although I disguised myself as a marketer, really, I was just a young entrepreneur trying to sell to clients our marketing service. And then just through running that agency, we just sold traditional marketing services. I really realized, no, I don't like marketing, so to speak. I like selling marketing services. And then I like talking to my clients on how we can increase their sales. And it just kept pointing back to sales. 
And that conversation I had when I was 17 with my stepfather, go get a sales job, just kind of kept popping up in my head. And then when I looked at my whole body of work, I did all these door-to-door sales jobs and cold call jobs at crazy call centers before my entrepreneurial career really started. And I finally just said, you know what, this is who I am. And sales doesn't have to be a dirty word. Yeah. I don't know if you found this, but I, cause I did a lot of door to door and we talked about this before selling house painting services and, you know, ran outbound call centers and just made a lot of cold calls. Did you ever see that? Hey, most people in sales don't do like the really hard jobs in sales. Most people like physically going door to door is so hard, man. When people can reject you to your face, I mean, I had people answer the, the door in their underwear you know, like all kinds of weird, like kind of stuff. I had people flip me off. Oh yeah. I mean, just all kinds of stuff. Did you ever like find out at one point that you're like, you know, actually all this stuff that I've done, this is like what a lot of people, salespeople are actually afraid to do. Like a lot of those kind of things. Absolutely. I'm really grateful for what I called my pound the pavement sales days, if you will. I mean, going door to door is grueling, not just from emotional and a mental standpoint, but it's also physical too. You know, you're walking like, unfamiliar neighborhoods and potentially 90 degree heat just getting rejected left and right. I mean, it's physically draining as well as mentally, but I'm grateful for those days. I'm grateful for the days that I just had to like hit the phone and try to set appointments through a cold call at really kind of bad call centers. And then when I got into more B2B high level sales and just more like what I would call everyday high-level business transactional sales that are really based upon a strong relationship, I realized, wow, a lot of sale professionals haven't done the pound the pavement type of prospecting that I have, but it gave me a type of grit that to this day, I'm still very grateful for and I'm not afraid of. Yeah. I always tell my wife, I'm like, yeah, if anything ever happens in our business, I I can start a house painting business again and go door to door. No problem. You know? Yeah, exactly. I love that, man. I love that you did house painting sales. Oh, it was brutal. I learned so much though. This is actually kind of a good segue into the first thing I wanted to ask you about is, I mean, we're both in the outbound world. Call reluctance is something I see just run rampant, especially on the company level. I would say maybe two thirds of the salespeople at companies I work with they're reluctant to the point to where it's they don't like not pick up the phone, but they definitely don't pick up the phone as much as they could or should because they just do this like thing where they just kind of like, oh, God, should I reach out to James? I don't know. He's been doing this for 10 years. He's got so much experience. What could I possibly add to him? Like that sort of stuff. What's your take on call reluctance? I think call reluctance is a very, very real thing. And I really appreciate people like you that speak to that, Jason. I think as sales professionals, we think way too much in terms of picking up the phone or should we or should we not. Mm -hmm. We're very quick to send an email. We're very quick to uh, send a follow-up LinkedIn message or comment on maybe a prospect's LinkedIn post. Like We have no problem doing that because it's easy. It's right there from our keyboard, if you will. Picking up the phone, actually, if you had that same type of mentality that maybe it's light work or it's easy and we make it up to be bigger than I think it really needs to be in our heads. If I'm trying to sell it to you, Jason, and 
maybe I've reached out a few times. Maybe we've had a conversation. Maybe we hadn't. But then all of a sudden, I pick up the phone and all I'm doing is trying to follow up with you. I actually don't see any problem with that. And I've been afraid to pick up the phone. And I had a sales mentor say it to me perfectly. He said, all you're doing is trying to start the conversation up again. Yeah. And he literally compared it to email. It's no different. We send emails because we can push a button. It's very easy. The only difference is when we pick up the phone, we have to have very specific intention. And we also have to be ready to maybe be a little bit more accepting to an objection or a rejection on the fly. You don't have time to like analyze a response from an email and how am I going to craft my response to this objection? You kind of have to be ready for it. But if you just stop making it a bigger deal than it is and just realize it's just another channel, just another tool to use as a follow-up, it becomes a whole heck of a lot easier for you. Yeah. And it's just another human. Yeah. <laughs> it's just another person. Yeah. You know, that you're talking with. And I don't know about you, I still get a rush every time I make a cold call. Anytime I'm calling a prospect that's gone dark in the sales process, I still get nervous for that, man. And I don't think that the goal is to make that feeling go away necessarily. It's kind of like just to act as if. I mean, it's kind of the old cheesy thing that they talk about with like courage and bravery. It's like those people are still scared. They just, act anyways. Like they just take action. Is that how it's kind of worked for you? Like what are your thoughts on that? Absolutely. It can relate to that feeling a hundred percent. And I think a lot of people can. I still get a little bit nervous before I jump on a podcast. I did a podcast with you, Jason, already, and I still get nervous. We're human at the end of the day and we want to perform and we want to present well and we want to communicate well. And especially in a sales setting, those assets of the sales process are so critical to communicate well, to present well, to be likable, but it's just human nature to not want to get rejected. And the truth is with a cold call, you can be cussed out. You can be hung up on. And all those things have happened to me throughout my cold calling days, throughout my door-to-door days. But the other side of that coin is a cold call can change your life. It can change the dynamic of a relationship. For instance, I mean, I run a sales agency and One of our callers just the other day made a call and the guy picked up and he said, you could not be calling me at a better time. It was just like perfect timing. And our, we call him phone outreach specialist. She said, James, I just got lucky. I called him at the right time. I said, no, the harder you work and the more willing you are, the luckier you get like that old quote and going through your numbers and hitting those motions, things happen when you just consistently put that effort, especially in the outbound world out there, things do fall in place. So yeah, I think being nervous is totally normal. I think anyone that says that they're not nervous before a sales meeting, whether that's in person, virtually before a podcast, I think there's a little bit of lying there because we're all human. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're we're all human. Yeah. So let's keep going with this cold calling thing. I'm curious, since the time you started making cold calls, however many years ago that was, how has your just approach and like how you do it changed over the years compared to, you know, what you guys are doing now? at your company? Like, how has the approach changed? What have you learned? Yeah, I've learned a lot. I think the first thing I've learned is you've already touched on it. It's just another human on the other side of the phone. And all we're trying to do is having a conversation. Fortunately for me, throughout my cold call history, I haven't had to like call and close someone on the phone. That's never been the intent. Yeah, that's really tough. That's never been my experience. My experience was the cold call was just part of that 
already set in place sales process, which I think is really critical. The difference I see from cold calling like 10 years ago to cold calling now, 10 years ago, the truth is there was just a lot more people in office. I actually a lot less gatekeepers. And I know gatekeepers have been around since forever, but I did hit decision makers more often than not 10 years ago. I think people were a little bit more willing to have a conversation. Now, the truth is, it's just harder to get a hold of people on the phone because so many people do. They might have a, an office number, um, so to speak, but they're really running their business off their cell phone and you might not have the correct number or correct data to actually get that person on the phone. Have you adapted, and I definitely want to dig into all of those things, but I'm curious, is there anything like when you first started cold calling that you look back at now that you used to do, and it's kind of like the what you ate for breakfast as a kid kind of thing that you're just like, oh, that was so silly that I used to do it that way. Is there anything like that that sticks out to you? Absolutely. I used to like be a robot reading scripts. Yeah. And this is kind of controversial and a lot of people believe in script writing and spending a ton of emphasis on their cold call scripts. And I understand why. I've just never been a script guy. I learned when I'm just more myself, conversational, and I don't go in sounding like a robot or thinking I have to say this word exactly right or right to the T. It just feels better. And I think when you put that energy out there over a call of comfortability and being genuine, I actually do think that is received, even if it's from a gatekeeper. People can tell when you're nervous, whether it's through a Zoom call, an in-person meeting, the energy you put out is the energy you get back. And I used to like write scripts and try to read them like off my screen verbatim. And now I take a few bullet points and I kind of have a feel of what I say, but none of my cold calls ever sound the same. Yeah, I think you bring up such a good point there and being comfortable and being genuine. I have a, a client that I work with and it's funny, she's great on the phones, but she opens up her phone call with something that's kind of like if you're a sales trainer is like a no-no, like saying, hey, James, this is Jason with Blissful Prospecting. How are you doing today? That's kind of a big no-no, right? But that people give advice where she does it every single time I listen to the recordings and people are like, oh, I'm doing really good. How are you doing? And it's her tone. She doesn't sound like a salesperson at all. It's very slow. She talks like this speed. It's very deliberate. It's very just normal conversational pace. So let's kind of go through some of those things that you brought up here, because I'm hearing this a lot with our clients, low pickup rates. And a lot of that is with the work from home. Like, how are you tackling pickup rates right now? And like, what do you even consider a good versus bad you know, pickup rate these days? Oh, man, that's a great question. What's a good versus bad pickup rate? I really think that depends on the industry. And this isn't a cop-out answer, but hear me out for a minute. If you're calling like Silicon Valley tech founders, the odds of getting through to them are really hard because they're probably all working remote. They might not even have an office line. If they do, they have a virtual assistant or it goes to a recording. We sell in like really kind of more traditional facilities management that industry and a lot of essential workers, a lot of like traditional gatekeepers, things that there's still a lot of like direct numbers that still work. So the industries are two different industries and the pickup rate are, is going to be very different depending on the industry. But with that being said, due to COVID and a lot of people working from home that never in a million years thought that they would ever have the chance to work from home are now working from home. And we have seen a decline in pickup rate just across the board. For instance, like we're typically calling facility directors, property managers, people of that sort, building operators. 
And those are essentially essential workers. Well, all of a sudden, a lot of companies have figured out, oh, our facility director can still manage a team of contractors remotely. And we, just for employee safety, don't want them in the office. So we've had to pivot a lot. We were leaving a lot of voicemails. I actually will still leave voicemails. I still actually believe in leaving a cold voicemail. I think that still does something. But we've actually picked up a new technology called ringless voicemail. There's a ton of ringless voicemail companies out there. And I recommend you do your research for what would fit your needs best. I'm not here to endorse a company, but I am here to endorse the technology. I'm in a sales group that talked about, oh, we're seeing like a 4 to 8% callback return on ringless voicemails. And I was like, whoa, this yeah. can't be right. And so we tried it out. We try all of our sales strategies on our company first. And what a ringless voicemail is, if you're not familiar, is you essentially pre-record a voice message, you upload your numbers, and it identifies what voicemails it can push through to. And a lot of company voicemails when you leave that voicemail, actually auto-populate to like an Outlook email. If you've ever had like a corporate number, when you get that voicemail, it goes to your email and you can hear the recording through your Outlook, right? It transcribes it um, as well. And that's a really good point. So we were like, okay, let's give this a shot. And again, with your pre-recorded message, I can't say, hey, Jason, because not everyone's name's Jason, but you have to make it sound authentic. But it say something like, Hey, this is James. I've actually reached out to you already in an email. I just wanted to give you a follow-up call and see if it makes sense to blah, 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 whatever your pitch is, but make it very conversational and don't make it your first touch point is what my recommendation would be. Make it your second or third touch point and then go ahead and push send. And then you just sent 500 voicemails. Well, that saves you a ton of time the hard part with this technology, and we at least, maybe other people have, but we haven't solved this problem yet, is when I first hit send on that ringless voicemail, that first hour, I got like five callbacks. And it was kind of like, I was kind of caught flat footed because I didn't expect that type of response. And then I would be have to be like, oh, who is this? Oh, hey, Jason. Oh, hey, Jason. Sorry. It's kind of loud. What company are you with? Like I had to play that like cat and mouse game because I didn't know who was calling me back. And we still kind of struggle with that. So my recommendation, if anyone out there is going to try ringless voicemail, set aside an hour or two, kind of like quiet time, if you will, once you push send, if you're the one receiving the calls and you're the one leaving the voicemail, because your phone is going to get some calls and you're probably going to want to be in front of your CRM or your list to maybe do some quick matching up on who's calling you back. And it's kind of like lifetime problem solving, but it has worked. And our clients have seen a really good return from it. And more than anything, maybe they don't actually call back, but we've gotten a few email responses saying, Hey, James, I got your voicemail following up with the email that you left me originally. Yes. I'd like to have a continued conversation or whatnot. Got it. I am a really big fan of voicemail as well. And I don't think that just because people don't return your phone call, you just gave an example, doesn't mean that that's not going to prompt them to look at the email or the LinkedIn message. So it sounds like you are creating a true multi-channel experience for the prospect by referencing something in another medium. Are there any other voicemail best practices that you recommend? Is that something that you're thinking about, you know, letting people know that you sent an email? Are you telling them to call you back? Like, What's the call to action typically in a voicemail or does it change? 
Yeah, really great question. I do think it does change depending on what you want. Typically for us personally, I'm just looking for a callback. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, a lot of people have probably heard of Jeb Blunt. Obviously, he's a great sales author and fanatical prospecting. He has a whole chapter on how to leave a voicemail. And this is just through thousands and thousands of calls he monitored. And I implemented this as soon as I listened to that chapter and it has worked. And what his advice is, it's very simple, is as soon as the voicemail goes live, say your name and state your number. Like, so I'm James Harper. My phone number is 720 and then say your number. And I'm calling because give the reason because and keep it brief, keep it to the point obviously keep it human. I think that's just needed in all the sales. And then when you end your voicemail, again, my name is James Harper and my phone number is 720. And then say your number. He's like, giving the number three different times throughout the voice message increases callback rate by like 17, 18%. I wasn't sure what to think when I first read this chapter. We started implementing it and it's true, night and day difference. I don't know if our callback rate is 17%. But it does seem like when we leave voicemails like Jeb Blunt's recommendation by stating your name, number, and then when you actually, his recommendation is when you actually end the call, state your number twice. And it's going to feel, it's going to be feel very awkward, but we've seen a better callback rate with that. We want callbacks, but I do think it is good to reference a different touch point somewhere in your voicemail so it doesn't feel completely out of whack and completely cold. Yeah. I love that because this is why you need to try stuff because there's a lot of advice out there with voicemails right now to do other types of things like don't state your name and company name at the beginning of the voicemail. I've tried both, you know, and I think it maybe depends on who you're reaching out to. And I think you should just test this stuff. Like what you're very intentional with there and like what Jeb was talking about is like thinking about what it's like to listen to a voicemail. And if you're listening to a voicemail, usually people don't want to rewind and like do all that sort of stuff. So if they hear your number multiple times and then you do twice at the end and and you're a little bit slower and deliberate with a phone number, like the person can write the phone number down. I don't know. That's like the most annoying thing to me when I get a voicemail and like the person leaves a different number than the number they called on. So I have to actually listen to the number and then I have to like rewind it a bunch of times because they're so fast. Those little things, I mean, you're a marketing guy, right? I mean, how much have you seen just with like pay-per-click ads and landing pages and website stuff? One extra click makes a huge difference in a conversion rate oftentimes. And like doing that little bit to think about, is it super easy for the prospect to do the thing that I would like them to do? Yep. You hit on it. Easy is the word. I think in the outbound sales world, we want to make everything as easy and seamless as possible for our prospect. And I think that's just sales in general. People pay for convenience. We love convenience. I love convenience. That's why we love Amazon. That's why we love food delivery. That's why we love social media. It's convenient. Think about that in your sales process. Are you making it convenient and easy for your prospect? And often we can overcomplicate things, which will substantially impact our conversion rates. Yep. So with cold calling, I'd love your take on assistance and gatekeepers as well. What's the protocols? Like, is there anything in place like for how do I get this person to help me versus saying, hey, can you send me to James's voicemail? You know, kind of thing. Is there is there anything <laughs> yeah. there, there around strategies to get them to actually help you with something versus just sending you to someone's voicemail or saying, hey, so-and-so doesn't take calls right now. I'll take a message, you know, kind of thing. 
Yeah, this is going to sound so simple that it's almost silly. It's just very true for me. Are we asking open-ended questions to gatekeepers and are we allowing them to be of help? Gatekeepers' whole job, if you think about like someone who's in an admin role, they are like just helping type of person because that's what they do in their every day, whether that's on the phone with you, a customer, the CEO, whomever, they obviously have a role to gatekeep and that's helping the CEO to a point. But people want to help and people don't like not answering open-ended questions or it gets really awkward really fast. And what we tell people is, okay, instead of just settling for, oh, you can send them an email or, hey, I'll push you through to do his voicemail. Everyone's always on vacation, right? The decision maker is always on vacation. You can ask for a bit of information that might help you with a follow-up call or might help you with leaving that voicemail that you're about to leave for that person. I just don't see people in the cold call world ask enough open-ended questions. Obviously, if I ask you, is the sky blue, Jason? You'll say yes. But if I ask you, what color is the sky right now in Austin, Texas, you elaborate. Yep. And I get that that's not a typical thing you'd ask on a cold call, but are we asking questions to find out more information for better follow-up, for better personalization in the future? One little trick, I don't know if you even want to maybe tip, it would be a better word that I found though, with some of my cold calls with gatekeepers is like, you might pick up the phone and I'll say, hey, Jason, my name's James. I'm wondering if you could help me with something. Just by saying that, like, I'm wondering if you could help me. It just kind of puts a guard down, I've noticed, even in the voice of the receptionist or the gatekeeper of like, yeah, I'm willing to try to help you. And really, we are trying to get their help to get connected to the decision maker. And you mentioned something I was just about to make a point of. You've used the word help multiple times. This is so funny when I do these trainings and I talk about, because this is like the big thing that people get hung up on. And I'm like, did you ask the person for help? <laughs> like, just ask them, like get them to opt in to like helping you. And then you can just relax a little bit and be really pointed with your questions and ask those open-ended questions and stuff that you talked about. But I love that. That is the only way that I do it when I call someone that is not the person I'm trying to get a hold of and, and you know, an office type of person answers. And I honestly can't think of a single time that someone shut me down. Yes. Now, they might be like, uh, yeah, what, what's up, James? Like, what's going on, man? You know, and they might press you a little bit, but they're at least engaged in the conversation versus the every salesperson basically does this. 99% of cold calls. Hey, James. Oh, well, my name's Jason. I'm with Blissful Prospecting. I'm trying to get a hold of uh, Bob Smith. And we do this and we do that. And we've worked with all these awesome companies. I'd love to talk to Bob Smith about the sales team. Can you connect me? You know, it's like, it's just a huge pitch and it's all about me. And I don't know, simple yet effective advice that you have there that I find that most people just don't do, just simply asking for help. Absolutely. I spoke with a sales veteran, his name's Hugh Little, and I learned this from him, so I can't take any credit, but it's called you messaging. Mm -hmm. We might've spoke about this on our last call, Jason, but just making it all about not you, them, by using the word you. Yeah. For example, hey, Jason, do you do this at your job? Do you like this in your personal life? Versus, hey, Jason, 
I would like to tell you about, or I, I, I is what so many salespeople fall victim to. I've been guilty of it. By the way, like when I say this stuff, I'm the first to raise my hand. And uh, it's just practicing the you sentiment, putting them before you and making it all about them. It's amazing what the mind does when you put someone else first and you feel like you're helping them and then they feel like they're being served and helped. The conversation substantially changes. Oh man, I mean, everyone wants to talk about themselves, you know, and also it just shows a little bit of like, I am curious, like I'm leaning in, like, I'm just kind of curious about how you're handling this thing right now. And if we might be able to help, like the sentiment is so much different. I know we're kind of a bit on a rant with cold calls, but I'm liking it. So, because people are going to want to know all this kind of stuff. What are you guys recommending in terms of like intros? So let's say you do get a decision maker on the call. How do you guys typically introing on the uh, cold call? When we have a decision maker on the call, we're really just trying to get to the point. And that point is really being, hey, we realize we know we're interrupting your day. I call it, call the elephant out in the room, right? Mm-hmm. When you get that decision maker on the phone, just say, hey, listen, Jason, I realize I'm totally calling you out of the blue and I respect your time. I'm reaching out to you because I'm curious to learn more about you or your company. And this is why. Can we set aside maybe 15 minutes at your convenience to have a conversation about this? I think, again, just being human and calling the elephant out in the room is something we like to do right off the bat. Some intro lines uh, that we use, again, I'm not a big script guy. I kind of have to play the feel of, does the decision maker, are they coming in guarded? Are they coming in open? Are they coming in hot? Not, you know. So I don't really have opening lines, but I do more times than not just say, hey, Jason, listen, I realize I'm calling you out of the blue. Here's why. I like to address that elephant in the room. Or I'll say, hey, Jason, if I can do this, I will always do this. And I believe salespeople should. Hey, Jason, I'm actually calling you because we actually have something in common. You're connected to a really good friend of mine, Bob Smith. If I can make a connection... And it has to be like a semi-genuine connection. Like it can't be, oh, hey, I see you're connected with a guy named Bob Smith that I'm also connected with, but I actually don't know. Yeah. I think if you can find a commonality there, it just changes the game. Like we have a client, this is really interesting. He prospects everyone that went to the same college as him. Yeah. <laughs> so what he does is he'll say, hey, Jason, listen, I know I'm calling you out of the blue, but uh, I see that you, like myself, also went to... Colorado University, CU, go Buffs. Um, mm-hmm. I'm calling you because, and then he goes into like with this pitch. I think trying to make a common connection, even if it's in the most slightest form, is a really good play. That's not always possible. So just addressing, like, hey, we are disrupting your day. We realize that. We acknowledge it. Hear me out for 30 seconds. And then let's see if it makes sense to schedule some follow up time to where we can have a genuine conversation. Yeah, it's a little bit of empathy goes a long ways, you know, in that cold call intro. Absolutely. So you mentioned something about finding something in common. I think this is a really underrated tactic because with Sales Navigator, you can do all kinds of cool stuff. Like that's what I always recommend people do is like, hey, the companies you're reaching out to, dude, see, like you can just go and LinkedIn, put in that as the current company and then put in the college and then you could search that. Another thing, I don't know if you guys have done this that I find that works really well is if you look for people that used to be an employee. So a past employee of your guys's current clients. That's another thing. Hey, James, I was giving you a call because I noticed that you used to work at ABC Company, Hmm. who we've done some work with. That's a great idea. 
No, I actually haven't done it. And then it's like you got something like immediately in common there. Another thing I noticed, and it kind of depends on what companies you've worked at as a sales rep, but if you've come from some big Fortune 1000 companies and maybe you're working at a startup now or another Fortune 1000, you can look and see like who used to work at the company you used to work at. So if you're trying to reach out like a VP of sales or VP of whatever, and you used to work at Wells Fargo and they used to be an exec or something at Wells Fargo, like you have that thing in common that you can mention. There's usually immediate trust and attention there for a split second at least where they're like, oh, cool, okay, we have something in common. So uh, I think that's a very underrated tactic that's like so easy to find, you know, these kind of connections with LinkedIn Sales Navigator. Absolutely. Actually, on that point, one thing we do that really does work if you're selling locally, like let's say you're a Denver-based client and you're just selling to Denver-based businesses. I've used this for years. <laughs> it gets a really great response where I'll say, hey, Jason, I see that you're in Denver and actually I'm located only like a few miles from you. Yeah. I'll say something like that and immediately... It's like, okay, like this doesn't feel like a cold call all of a sudden. Yeah. Hey, Jason, my name's James. I'm actually calling because I'm only located, I'm like right down the street from you. And I wanted to give you a call because if you're selling locally like that, just make that as a common connection and that goes a long way. And then to the sales navigator point, I love when it notifies me that potential prospects change job titles. It just gives me a great incentive to send them a congratulations or like engage with them on their career move or their big win. And I mean, that's really impactful information when you're in the outbound world. Yeah. And again, it's right at your fingertips. It's like the easiest stuff you know, to find because you can create a filter for it, save it, and then have LinkedIn notify you every day when something new pops into the search. Let's talk about LinkedIn. So one of the things it sounds like you're doing, which I love, is you're using LinkedIn in a non-techie kind of industry and it's working. Yeah, totally working. Contrary to popular belief, you know, because that's kind of the thinking with LinkedIn. Oh, if they're not in a sales role or a marketing role or some sort of HR recruiting role, don't bother with LinkedIn. So what are you guys seeing with LinkedIn? LinkedIn's like my favorite social platform. Mm-hmm. I realize that there's some negative sentiment around LinkedIn because it can be like a pitch fest sometimes. Uh, But when we sell, so primarily when we're prospecting, we help commercial cleaning companies book more qualified meetings with facility directors, property managers, people of that sort. The truth is LinkedIn is like the second biggest job search platform in the world. And it's just keeps growing year over year. It's like Indeed and LinkedIn. So even if you're not in like an active participant on LinkedIn, the odds are of you having a profile and this is becoming more and more relevant just for job searching purposes is absolutely true. So for instance, if we're reaching out to facility directors, let's say, I don't really care if they're active on LinkedIn or not, but we are assuming that, okay, their profile is up to date, their job title is correct, and they're going to get notified one way or the other that we've reached out to them. So we're in a non-sexy industry, non-traditional. And some of the feedback we've gotten is, hey, I've been pitched on LinkedIn, and this is from like a facility director or a property manager. Hey, I've been pitched on LinkedIn, recruiters, marketing agencies, things of that sort, but I've actually never had like disinfection company or a construction company reach out to me on LinkedIn just to start a conversation. Again, the goal isn't to have the conversation on LinkedIn, it's to get them off of LinkedIn and in an actual sales meeting, right? Yeah. 
but you do stand out from the crowd. These guys, at least in our industry, are more accustomed to getting cold email and cold called. So LinkedIn was kind of a platform we decided to try out. We saw that there was some traction there. I recommend in the outbound world, if you guys see traction, double down on it and really explore it as a viable option. One thing that I really, really do appreciate though about just the outbound sales game and how LinkedIn connects, no matter what industry you're selling in, you're going to get a message on LinkedIn that's going to give you a notification. And if you send it as an in-mail and you send a follow-up, you're going to get an email that so-and-so sent you a message. So you're actually being notified twice that Mm -hmm. James Harper or Jason Bay is getting in touch with you. And I do think that goes a long way. And I don't know about you, but when I log on to LinkedIn... I make sure all my notifications are gone. (laughs) I clear all of those notifications. And I actually do. I'm more inclined today to read a LinkedIn message than I am like a cold email. Yeah, interesting. So you are a fan, it sounds like, of the in-mail approach. Will that be the first point of contact through LinkedIn as an in-mail message? No, so I am a fan of the in-mail, but typically the first point of contact for us is actually a connection request with like the added note. Yeah. And you only have 300 characters, so you have to give a reason on why you're connecting with whomever right off the bat. Mm-hmm. And so actually we try to make the most of that first initial connection request message and we actually try to qualify in that message and that might sound a little bit strange, but we'll say, "Hey, if you're looking for ABC services of what we do, we'd love to connect and see if a serious conversation is warranted, like something that direct. And then by time they accept your connection request with being very direct right from the start, we actually get a ton of responses to that initial connection request message, which I don't think is typical, but I like being direct on why we're connecting because we want to build a network that means something to us. So we want to, when we're reaching out, to build our network or to even contribute to their network, we want to be direct on our intention. And if they do accept it, there's a different level of credibility to that potential prospect. I imagine, correct me if I'm wrong, the percentage of people that accept that connection request, it's probably lower than if you were to do something more generic, but it seems like the likelihood that they're going to actually engage with you is extremely high Yep. because they already know what to expect. Like you're saying, it isn't what people are calling out if you've seen this in the uh, the pitch slap, you know, the connect and pitch, you know, you yeah. know kind of thing. It isn't a surprise. <laughs> Is that a correct assumption? Yeah, that's 100% correct. I think your outreach should be quality versus quantity always. Yeah. So basically in that message, it sounds like the approach is like, hey, t- I'm connecting with people that are looking for help in these areas, A, B, and C, you know, kind of thing. If you're looking for help or interested about this, we should connect so I can tell you more kind of thing. Yeah, exactly. Interesting. And then if they don't respond to that, is that where you kind of go with the in-mail and what's kind of best practices with in-mail? Because this is something I've just avoided. Yeah. Because so many people do in-mail so poorly that I'm just like, the in-mails that I get are so terrible. I mean, they're they're, they're like really long-winded cold emails is essentially what the person did is they just put their cold email into there. Yeah, no, you're right. There's a lot of bad in-mail strategy out there. So what we actually, I think, take a different approach to in-mail because you have a limited number of credits. You're literally paying to send a message, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want to pay to send a message to people that we're already connected with that we can essentially chat for free, if you will. Yeah. 
we will send a follow-up in mail. And again, kind of, uh, are you serious, George, or curious, George? That's like what we like to say, like just joking <laughs> I around. I had a business broker tell me that once and I was like, I'm stealing that. <laughs> but basically it's like, hey, Jason, I'd hate to waste your time. And then again, we send the follow-up email. The money really is in the follow-up. And I think anyone in the prospecting world knows that, but we're very concise to the point with our follow-up end mails. Initially, we were doing the long, drawn-out, end mail, kind of cold email style, and we were seeing a poor response rate. But if it was something like, hey, Jason, just wanted to send you a quick follow-up here. If you're ever in need of A, B, or C, I'm happy to be a resource, no strings attached. And I love that line. Mm -hmm. Like, listen, hey, I'm willing to be a resource for you. I'm willing to serve you in some way, no strings attached, but then you need to uphold that promise at all times. If you're willing to be a resource, an industry expert for that person, and they reach out to you, no pressure, no strings attached, because now you're delivering on your promise. And by doing that, ironically enough, that could lead to a potential business relationship. But um, I'm big on the uh, follow up with the end mail. I'd hate to waste your time, but I'm happy to be uh, such and such resource for you. Absolutely zero pressure and no strings attached. And just by being that genuine and upholding, like kind of putting a promise out there, we see a really, like a really genuine response rate is how I would put it. Mm -hmm. Love it. What's your perspective on, because this is really kind of big in SaaS right now with like MQLs and SQLs and like all this other stuff where I feel like there's like a resistance from the sales team of, I'm not going to talk to a customer unless they're like ready to buy and I can actually sell to them. And like, in my experience, that just goes against a lot of like what you come across in Outbound because most of the people you come across are not like already shopping for something. It's your job to actually sell. <laughs> You know, so like, how do you guys think about like, what's a good first appointment to set up from your outreach versus like a bad appointment? That's a wonderful question. And I think ultimately there's not a metric that I'm going to place on this. I'm going to add some like human element here. What's a good appointment after the first call versus a, a bad appointment? It's it did that prospect give us action steps for a potential second appointment or give us direction that there might be potential to do business with them in the future. Yeah. The truth is when you're reaching out to prospects, if you're reaching out to a hundred people, maybe, and let's say you're a service-based company, maybe, I don't know, 70, 80% of them, I actually, I'd say 80, maybe even 90% of them don't want to buy what you're selling or don't have a need for it. So it's really capitalizing on that 10 to 20%. And out of that 10 to 20%, at least in the B2B service world is very low. So it's a long sales cycle. So you have to always be pushing your prospects to take action to kind of keep that ball moving down the field, if you will. So what's a SQL versus an MQL? I think there's all these metrics that like the sales forces of the world have qualified people for and not qualified. You know, as the salesperson, if that was a good quality conversation or not, and you should have a feel because this is your job to have a feel on people when connecting. If you think that there's opportunity in the future, or maybe you discovered opportunity on that call. And you'll know if it's a worthwhile contact to uh, stay in touch with or not. I think where salespeople fail is we all want quick return. We all love instant gratification. I love it. I eat a cookie because I like the taste of it. <laughs> like It's that simple. Yeah. But the truth is when you're playing the long-term outbound sales game, there's not a lot of instant gratification. And a lot of it is kind of like this slow, slow, stay in front of, slowly relationship build for 
profit at the end. You got to think profit, not paycheck. And I say that a lot in all of my sales talks. And that's exactly what cold prospecting is. You're thinking profit, not paycheck. So how do you qualify? How do you not qualify? You should have a good pulse just from a human element after that meeting, if you think they're qualified or not. Yeah. And take the meeting. I mean, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, most companies, I mean, there are a few unicorns out there, obviously, where they just, there's so much demand for what they're doing because their product is so good and their marketing is so great. Most companies have sales reps with like calendars that have a ton of white space on it. Yes. Take the freaking meeting, dude. Yeah. Like take the meeting and like actually sell. You know, that's the other thing I find too with outbound is it's a different sales process than like an inbound lead that's like, like to me, selling inbound is like easy. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's easy mode. I mean, the other variable you have to worry about is if they come to you inbound, they're probably looking at competitors as well. You know, so there's that. But with outbound, like to me, that's the challenge is getting someone that wasn't thinking about this to think about it and to be like, oh, cool. I didn't realize there was this thing I wasn't thinking about that's related to what's a priority for me. That's part of the challenge. And at least get them, you've made contact and now nurture. Yes. You know, and like nurture that lead because I mean, a lot, I can't tell you, I'm sure you've seen how many sales I've won that were conversations I started last year. A hundred percent, man. You know, like a year ago last year. Yes. Yes. A hundred percent. I love that. Um, I like to think of outbound sales as we are creating opportunity. Yep. I'm a sports guy, I like sports, uh, grew up an athlete and I used to have coaches say, Hey, James, go make a play, like create something on the field, make something happen. And that's kind of how I feel outbound sales is like, it is our job to kind of create opportunity versus wait for opportunity inbounds more like waiting on opportunity and capitalizing when it comes outbounds more like creating opportunity and making sure it actually turns into something. Yep. All right, man. We got to take off. Thank you for coming on the show. Where can people go to connect with you? Find out more about what you're doing. You got a podcast. Where can people go to check you out? Jason, like I said last time, I think you're one of the best thought leaders in the outbound game. So I'm really honored to have these conversations with you. Thanks, Listen, man. if anyone wants to talk shop, you can go to agencyflare.com. For sales professionals out there that just want monthly email talking outbound sales, no pitches, no online courses sold or anything, just literally outbound information sent to your inbox once a month, go to outboundsalesreport.com and follow me on LinkedIn. If you guys want to connect on LinkedIn, I'm, I'm about building a network. That was a fun episode. One of the things that I definitely want to figure out with some of our clients is this ringless voicemail thing. I heard of it, never really tried it before. And some of the results he's getting sound really interesting. You know, I don't know about you. I don't normally get very many callbacks from voicemails. They usually use it as a way to point someone towards an email or something like that. So we'll definitely have to check that out. And before you go, I got a quick favor. If you've been listening to this podcast and you've gotten some value, I would love a short, honest review on iTunes. It really helps the show grow and helps me continue getting on great guests like James. And you'd also be doing me a huge favor between you and me. So if you dig the podcast and you haven't left a review, I would love it. You can open up the podcast app on your phone if you're using an iPhone or go to your iTunes account, look for Blissful Prospecting, scroll down to the very bottom, you should be able to leave a short, honest review. All right, appreciate it. And we'll talk to you soon.